Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pineapple Pizza podcast discusses the histories, cultures, and beliefs of regions around the world. These stories often contain mature and sometimes disturbing content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we serve up slices of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. It's an interesting combination of flavors. Weird, but it works. Today's special is Cryptids of Chile. I'm your hostess, Emily, and with me are two of my very favorite people in the whole world, Ashley and Lindsay. Hello. Hi. <laughs> See, you guys both actually knew your own names. <laughs> All back. <laughs> That's an improvement. <laughs> uh, I know my name, but I don't know what day of the week it is, and that's okay. I feel that on a very personal level. Hard same. <laughs> so we're doing Chilean cryptids. I'm pretty excited about this because I honestly had a really hard time picking which ones I wanted to do because they were so cool. But also because everything's in Spanish, like everything's in Spanish. None of them were super long, so mm-hmm. it took me a little while to find ones that I could work with for the the show, but I highly recommend that if you dig on these creatures at all, you need to go out and research other ones from Chile because they have some really cool stuff there. All right. So let's see. Oh, here, my first bullet. Chile might have some of my favorite cryptids so far. I actually- <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> The creatures here are wickedly cool, scary, and even inspiring. So I'm really looking forward to serving up some Chilean flavor. Mm. But first, I want to talk about the country and its history a bit, much like Ashley did. Woo woo! So the Republic of Chile, for people who aren't familiar with it, is a long, narrow country that spans the western coast of South America. It's approximately 2,700 miles long, or 4,300 kilometers, and 217 miles wide, which is about... 349 kilometers at its widest point. So it's not like it's that wide the whole way down. So for comparison, that's a little narrower than California, which has a width of about 250 miles or 400 kilometers. They're really close. But it's more than three and a half times the length. Because I was kind of like, okay, Chile, it's a really long country, but I didn't understand how long it is. So it's like having three and a half Californias stacked on top of each other. It's a pretty big country. As compared to three and a half toddlers. (laughs) 
Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah, there's a big difference between three and a half Californias and three and a half toddlers. So don't mix those up. No, don't mix them up. It, so Chile is like um, a metric fuck ton of Californias. Yeah, you could definitely say that. Actually, fun fact, if Chile had a job, do you know what it would be? What, what would it be? It'd be a supermodel because it's so tall and thin. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> I made that up right now. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> I was going to say, I just hope they don't have the traffic problems that they have in California. I mean, they have some pretty big cities there. So they might. They do. They also have some mountains. Yeah. Yes. That actually segues very nicely into my next bullet. Sweet. Nailed it. <laughs> because Chile is so long, it has a wide range of habitats, including everything from the driest desert in the world, which is the Atacama Desert, which is in the north of Chile, to the frozen tundra of Antarctica in the south. So it's really like they do everything there. It also includes countless islands in the Pacific Ocean to the west and the Andes Mountains to the east. The country itself, or the region, was first settled around 18,000 years ago by European conquerors, specifically the Spanish, which were the really big ones, I think, in Chile, didn't begin actively colonizing the region until the 16th century or the 1500s, for you people who still aren't on board with centuries. Because we're how many episodes in now and you still don't understand. Centuries are hard. (laughs) Centuries are hard. It's harder when it's BCE, I think. Yeah, that's true. Are centuries hard? (laughs) (laughs) Although there are nine different indigenous groups or cultures in the country, the largest and most influential is the Mapuche. So many of the legends and stories of mainland Chile are influenced by the culture of this particular group. And from what I understand, they were really focused. They had settled central Chile, and then they tended to branch out from there. So it was kind of like they spread over the whole country. Like a beautiful starburst. Like a beautiful starburst. That's way better than what I was thinking. (laughs) Oh, goodness. (laughs) You're welcome, listeners. I got you back. (laughs) The Chiloé Archipelago off the coast of south-central Chile, however, developed its own unique local flavor. So I selected cryptids from each of these to try to better represent beliefs of both the mainland and the largest island chain. Tonight's appetizer comes fresh from the seas of the Chiloé Archipelago. Ingredients for this dish were sourced from a page on La Pincoya from chiloemythologico.cl a page entitled Chilote Mythology, the Royal Family of the Sea on folkrealmstudies.weebly.com. I believe that was in Spanish, so um, I translated that to English because I don't speak Spanish. Thank you, Google Translate. Same. I that do happened a, little, a lot. I do a little bit, but not super well. I can read it much better than I can speak it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to speak another language if you're not well-versed. Mm-hmm. A 2016 article called La Pincoya, the Mermaid of Abundance on latinfolktales.wordpress.com and the Wikipedia page on La Pincoya. So I think you can kind of pick up a little bit about what I'm going to be talking about. It's a mermaid. It's our first mermaid. So who or what is La Pincoya? 
She is a young, stunningly beautiful, and pure mermaid with long, shining blonde hair. So she's supposed to be very pure of spirit, just a genuinely kind, gentle, loving person. She is a princess of the sea. Her father is Mila Lobo, half man, half sea lion, and king of the seas. A question. Hmm. <laughs> Don't ask her, I'm not going to get it out. Does she want to be a part of our world? <laughs> you might be a little on the nose with that. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. I crushed you. <laughs> Second question. What does part sea lion look like? <laughs> when anybody says half man, half animal, I always wonder is the top half the man or is the bottom half the man? <laughs> important distinction (laughs) top half the sea lion pretty much ever since i saw that episode of scrubs i can't stop wondering where you're supposed to put it if you fuck a mermaid but it's fine (laughs) (laughs) oh sorry (laughs) we should maybe cut that out i'm really sorry you said she was pure of heart so no no one should be sticking anything anywhere Oh, that's okay. It gets uh, a little um, Lancastrian. I don't know if that's a good word to, a good way uh, to put it. A little later. Our favorite flavor. Yes. Our favorite oh, flavor. Inside. Oh, the Lancaster. <laughs> anyway. So her father is the king. Her mother, uh, Wentula, is queen of the sea, but she's also entirely human, which I thought was interesting. She has one brother. One brother. Uh-huh, El Pinkoy. And one sister, La Serena Chilota. And I'm sorry if my pronunciation is terrible. It's pretty good. I don't speak Spanish very well. No, it's pretty good. Thanks. I'm trying. Everyone in the family has special roles to play in sustaining the health and happiness of the seas, its creatures, and the humans who rely on it, which I think is a really cool aspect of this family. When she was still an infant, La Pincoya's mother asked her parents to watch the baby for a bit. But there was a catch. They couldn't look at the baby because humans were forbidden from seeing her. So basically she was in like this, it was like a shell basket. She was in a shell and she was covered and they weren't allowed to look at her, which is terrible babysitting because what if the baby cries? But to be fair, La Pincoya is very sweet natured, so she may have never cried. Unfortunately, their curiosity got the better of them. So they tried to peek at their granddaughter and were horrified when, upon looking at her, the baby turned into... A sea lion. What do you think, Ash? Ash is like, I don't know. Put me on the spot. <laughs> I don't know. I really hope it's not an oyster. Um, actually, I think it's kind of weirder and worse in both cases. She was turned into water. Oh, I was going to say, was it like sea foam? Like- no, she liquefied. She was turned into water. Mm. Yeah. When La Pincoya's mother returned to collect her daughter, she was devastated to learn what had happened. So in tears, she took the cradle that contained the water and poured it into the sea, and then wailing went in search of her husband, Mila Lobo. When she found him, she she told him all about what had happened to their beloved daughter and, you know, all in tears, freaking out. But as she's finishing up her story, a small boat, or a small, was it a small boat? It was like a shell boat. There were a bunch of different versions. Okay, so there's a little boat thingy that appears in the distance. Is it kind of like a dinghy? (laughs) (laughs) 
this little boat thingy dingy. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to just because of Tommy Boy, but I'm fine. Quit playing with your dinghy. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> so th- so this boat was carrying a beautiful young woman whom Wentula realized was her daughter reborn. So then she named her daughter Pinkoya. I tried to find out what Pinkoya actually means, like why she didn't have a name before and after being reborn, she now has a name. But I didn't I could not find anything on that. And I don't speak Spanish, so I don't know what the meaning behind it is. I tried. So La Pinkoya is now a protector of the sea, and she basically helps restock the sea with fish. Her father, Milalobo, provides or creates the fish, and then La, La Pinkoya sews the water with them. And when I read this, I basically pictured her out there with, like, a basket of fish just going, <laughs> like, early fish into the sea. I'm pretty sure that's not how it's done. <laughs> when you said restock the ocean, I pictured her going through, like, a grocery store wearing, like, a uniform, putting, like, fish on shelves in this grocery store. <laughs> And here's the tuna. <laughs> See, that probably makes more sense with restocking. I'm just seeing her out in the water hurling fish like that one Muppet character. <laughs> I don't think it's you like throw the a fish, it comes back. <laughs> <laughs> but perhaps uh, what she is most well known for is the message regarding abundance that she sends through dance. So she does emerge from the sea, either naked or sparingly covered in seaweed, and then she will perform a dance on the beaches. Sexy. As mm-hmm. you do. If she is facing inland while she dances, fish will be scarce in the coming season, so fishermen will need to search further and wider for what they need. These periods of scarcity can be exacerbated by the absence of her brother, El Pinkoy, who is also kind of her husband. Oh. Yum. But if it gets too bad, the fisherman can call on La Pinkoya for help, asking her to come back and basically bless them. And she will. But if when she's doing her dance, if she's facing the sea, then everything's golden. There's going to be plenty of fish and shellfish around those beaches. So you want her to face the sea. Interestingly, she seems to very much like to see people happy. So if she sees that the fishermen and people appear to be in good spirits, she's more likely to, to dance facing towards the sea. So basically fake it if you want your dinner. So no sad, no sad sacks on the beach when she's coming out to dance. <laughs> Carl, get out of here. <laughs> we need fish tonight. <laughs> so remember that she is a protector, not just of the sea, but also of the people who wander the sea. So if someone is lost at sea or shipwrecked, she'll show up and try to save them. But if she can't save them and return them safely... She, along with her siblings, will transport the poor unfortunate souls onto a ghost ship known as El Kaleoche, where they can exist in eternal happiness, which is actually pretty cool. Because when I first heard ghost ship, my, I, my immediate brain went to like Davy Jones' ghost ship, mm-hmm. and it's just miserable. But instead, they live on this in happiness, which I thought was pretty cool. I couldn't find any information on whether she might have been inspired by creatures native to the region or ancient beliefs around water or anything, but I was able to find a few uh, pop culture references and some other fun stuff. So there are loads of uh, restaurants and locations that are named after or associated with La La Pincoya throughout the region. Basically, every time I tried to search La Pincoya, I was getting (laughs) TripAdvisor restaurants (laughs) (laughs) suggestions. (laughs) She's also a character in a game called Abyss Odyssey. 
Hmm. But perhaps my favorite little facts are that both a seabird and a star are named after her. Oh. Yeah. The seabird is called Pinkoya Storm Petrel, with a scientific name I don't want to butcher right now, so I'm not even going to try it because I (laughs) looked it up and was like, nope, that's not happening. (laughs) (laughs) And star HD... 164604 was officially renamed Pinkoya in 2019. And just in case you're curious, it's in the Sagittarius constellation, which I thought was kind of funny because you would think it would have been in like the what's the Aquarius? Aquarius. I don't know my constellations, but Sagittarius, that's the one that's uh, the archer. Half man. Isn't it the no, archer? It's Orion. Orion's the archer. Sagittarius is the centaur that's half man, half horse. But doesn't he also have like a bow and arrow? Maybe. Maybe he's a show-off or they're competing. I don't, I don't know. know. I just thought he did. I, don't know. I have no idea what's going on right now and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it for La Pincoya. It reminded me of um, Venus de Milo a little bit. Oh yeah. Yeah. On the shells mm-hmm. and the long blonde hair. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder if that was inspired by... Probably not. No, that's inspired by the myth of Venus, but... I know, but... Doesn't mean they're not connected at all, because, like, as we found out, the Greeks managed to impregnate pretty much every culture with some aspect of their mythos, so it doesn't mean it's not at all connected either. Yeah, because I just find the fact that she has long blonde hair very interesting. It doesn't seem like it'd be... You know what I mean? Like, that was such a a big distinction. Mm -hmm. They needed to call out the fact that she has long blonde hair. Well, I imagine that that would have been unusual for the region, Mm -hmm. given the heritage. So having blonde hair would have certainly made her really stand out. That's true. Maybe it made her more uh, ethereal if she had a... (laughs) Ethereal. Ethereal. Yeah. (laughs) Ethereal. It took me a moment. I'm sorry. (laughs) Ethereal. She kept it ethereal with her blonde hair. Yeah, Maybe. We hope this appetizer helped whet your appetite for some more Chilean cryptids. We'll be right back with tonight's main course. Hello, this is Cindy Martinez, the host of Welcome to the Neighborhood podcast. Ever since I was young, I've had a passion for true crime and the paranormal. This podcast focuses on cases and stories from different cities while making the Chicagoland, my hometown, our base. If you find yourself intrigued by crime and all things spooky, find us on Apple, Spotify, and Google. We post new episodes every Friday. Be sure to stop by. All right, welcome back. Our main course may take your breath away. Prepare your taste buds for the Patagonian cryptid known as El Cuero or El Trelque. I broke it down for myself and it's still hard. Okay, so I couldn't find an actual any wiki how to pronounce this. So I am taking a swing at this one. El Trelque Cuve. So I may be really butchering that, but it's like two words smushed together in a language I do not speak, so I hope that's okay. (laughs) Ingredients for this dish were sourced from a bookofcreatures.com page on South American folklore, a cryptidarchives.com page on El Cuero, 
a cryptids fandom page on the same creature, a 2018 entry on Chilean myths and legends, a 2010 book by Carol Rose called Giants, Monsters, and Dragons, an encyclopedia of folklore, legend, and myth, a 2016 book by Teresa Bain called Encyclopedia of Beasts and Monsters in Myth, Legend, and Folklore. So she basically stole the same title from Carol. <laughs> Whoops. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, is this the same thing? I had to check myself when I wrote it up, and then I was like, no, those are two different people, or at least they're claiming to be. As long as you chickadee check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> And my favorite and most heavily referenced source was a 2010 blog entry by Austin, uh, I'm, I think it's Whittall, on patagoniamonsters.blogspot.com called Guide to Patagonia, Patagonia's Monsters and Mysterious Beings. His page was really cool. I highly recommend going out and checking it out because he does some good research. Very detailed. And uh, he reads Spanish, so he translated a bunch of stuff. And then put little blurbs like, here's the Spanish. Here's how I translated it. So I didn't have to do it, which was great. So you don't have to. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, let's talk about El Cuero. El Cuero is a dangerous creature reported throughout the Patagonian region, which spans the southern region of the Andes Mountains in both Argentina and Chile, much as Ashley told us last week. It's even reported all the way out to the Chiloé archipelago. It is primarily described as a freshwater creature found in the chilly lakes of the Andes, but has also been described as a marine animal found along the Patagonian coasts, which, as we know, are basically both the Pacific and the Atlantic. Because Patagonia runs out there. It's pretty close. What, did I do something funny? <laughs> I just was, like, about to die laughing inside because... For somebody who gave me shit on not knowing directions, you're you're like, well, it's pretty close. <laughs> okay. To be fair, to be fair, I looked at multiple maps of Patagonia, and some maps have it going all the way to the Atlantic Ocean, but others have it stopping short. So it kind of depended on which map you were looking at. But yes, you're right. <laughs> Allegedly, it depended. <laughs> Cartography. <laughs> The name El Cuero means hide or skin in Spanish, while, oh, I have to say it again, El Trelquehue Cuve means evil hide spirit. No, evil, no. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> this is the English part, I can't say it. The Nino. <laughs> it's all right, everyone, because as we say here on this show, while we may struggle with names, English is where we really shine. <laughs> While El Trelquehuecuve means evil spirit hide in the native Mapuche language. Based on these names, what do you immediately picture this creature looking like? Is it invisible? What? It says it's, it's hiding. You can't see it. Uh, no, a hide-like skin. Oh. I'm picturing that lady from Doctor Who that's always like, moisturize me. Oh, Lady Cassandra? Yes, Lady Cassandra. <laughs> God damn it. Why does she keep coming up? <laughs> <laughs> I actually put her into this later on. <laughs> I still have nightmares about that bitch. So right? <laughs> it's so weird. God damn it. Edgeen's girlfriend. All right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> the descriptions of the creature vary a bit, but not as widely as some of our previous cryptids and certainly not as wildly as the bunyip, which was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Australia. That was some crazy shit. <laughs> 
El Cuero is generally brown or black with white spots on the skin, although I did see in a few places that they mentioned that it was kind of a yellow color, like a bright yellow. And it's said to look like a cowhide floating in the water, which explains the name. Yummy. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it already. But it also has a few unique characteristics. Sometimes it just looks like that cowhide, while other times it might also have tentacles. In either case, it is said to be ringed with hooks, barbs, claws, or nails all around its edges or the edges of its tentacles, which may also have suckers. This is like the worst flying carpet I've ever heard of in my entire <laughs> life. Like It's the death carpet. <laughs> exactly. The floating death carpet. I mean, it just sounds like somebody's weird sex prop to me floating yeah. in the ocean. God. <laughs> it sounds like a weird kink that I don't want anything to do with. All I can think about right now is Buffalo Bill and it's fine. <laughs> it puts the lotion on its skin. So that it can moisturize me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And the Cryptids fandom website even suggested that the sharp edges might actually be knives the creature stole from its previous victims. Although, to be fair, I didn't see that mentioned anywhere else. That was strictly Cryptids fandom, so I don't know if somebody was like, let's add a little fun to this. It doesn't have hands! So now it's kind of like the Iron Throne. Cool. Yes! <laughs> like a floating Iron Throne of death. I'm into this, actually. So Yeah, this is... There's so many reasons I wanted to do this creature. It was cool. Fuck all of this. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay's like, no, I don't like I, this I hate one. all of this. <laughs> Here's the thing about that phrase, though. Tone is everything because you could be saying, ooh, fuck all of this. <laughs> <laughs> Tiny knives, let me cut you up everywhere while you touch me. Mm -mm. Listen, some people are into that. Yeah, I'm not kink, I'm not kink shaming anybody. But gross. <laughs> <laughs> Not for you. Not Helen. for me. Okay, so El Cuero. El Cuero either has large ears that extend out from its head, which are covered in eyes that it can make bigger or smaller at will. So I totally picture this with like bug eyes all over it that just huh. go, like throbbing. Oh my God, why are they throbbing? Because <laughs> it can make them bigger or smaller at will. Or it has eyes on red stalks, kind of like Gary the Snail. Yeah. Yeah. Meow. <laughs> so either way, it's terrifying. <laughs> I'm kind of wondering, do the... I'm just wondering, is it really the whole eye that's getting bigger or smaller? Or is it the pupil? Because, like, mm. it could be either one. Ooh, this gives me some ideas for how to tie this back a little later with some of the other things that we talk about. I have some ideas because this thing is also reported to potentially have countless eyes all over its body with four large ones on its head. Huh. But since it's known to be spotted, when I was reading this, I assumed that this idea probably arose from uh, actually seeing those spots at a distance and not being able to tell what they were because they're white spots that you're seeing through the water. You might think that's an eye. Yeah, you could. Mm -hmm. Especially if you don't know any better. And could potentially play into some stuff a little later, so remind me to tie back to that. I will try to remember. Yeah. <laughs> tie back to the eye stuff. <laughs> I 
eyeballs. Gross. <laughs> Our favorite. Okay. I <laughs> listen. I have a weird eye thing, but I also think eyes are really fascinating. Like mm-hmm. I love the idea that your pupil can actually expand when you're looking at something that you love, which is probably mm-hmm. why my pupils get so big when I look at Pedro Pascal. <laughs> Who, by the way, is of Chilean heritage. So, oh, is he? That's cool. Yeah. So it relates on multiple levels. <laughs> <laughs> I did see... Oh, yes. We're going for another body part here. I did see mention in a few sites that it might have an extendable mouth at the center of its torso. Kind of like the one description of the bunyip with the stomach mouth. It didn't seem to be a common theme, though. Like It, it was mentioned on a few sites, but it wasn't... It wasn't mentioned everywhere. So that's gross. There also really weren't any mentions of how large El Cuero grows, but it must be a decent size because it's considered a danger to people, for reasons which I will elaborate further upon shortly. Mm. As far as a physical description, that's really it. But there's still so much more to say about this strange Huvian-esque being. I hate all of it. I I don't... I don't hate it. Ashley's like, I'm into this. <laughs> Listen, anything that might mean the doctor is going to show up during this episode <laughs> is is okay by me. According to Patagonia Monsters, the first official written documentation or mention of the creature occurred in 1810 when Father Juan Ignacio Molina described Chilean animals in Essay on the Natural History of Chile. But this mention didn't actually directly call out El Cuero. Instead, it mentioned a creature that resembled a manta, like a manta ray. Okay. And so that's being tied back in based on some later observations. So this is considered like the first official, but he doesn't actually call it out by name. It wasn't until Tomas Guevara's 1908 book, Psychology of the Araucanian People, that the creature is first called by its native moniker and a depiction of it was produced. So they had a picture of it in there, which is cool. And it basically looked... It did look like a cowhide with claws all the way around the edge of it. For some reason, I'm now starting to think about, and I know that it, it no, it's wrong because it shouldn't be like furry, but all I can think about is that monster book of monsters from Harry yes, Potter now. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because oh, the claw part of it is mm-hmm. a lot like that. It'll eat you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I could see that. That's funny. In his book, Tomas calls it an octopus, but in 1924, Ricardo Latchem calls it an amphibian, which he says the native Chileans call a manta. So my personal thought is that maybe Latchem is a little bit confused. I don't really know. But if you're calling it a manta, it's definitely not an amphibian. Those are two very different things. Mm -hmm. Several early 1900s authors discussed the danger it poses to people and animals alike. It is said that anything that enters the water where El Cuero is runs the risk of being attacked. How do you think this thing attacks people? I'm just curious. It like ripples its knives at you. That's a pretty good guess. I just want to think that it just basically pulls a jellyfish and floats near you until it hits you with the, the pointy parts. That's a good one too, because it is in the water. But it's more along the lines of an evil magic carpet. Because you know when the carpet in Aladdin wraps things up? Mm-hmm. Oh shit, I don't like that part. <laughs> El Cuero will wrap itself around its prey and constrict until they cannot breathe, stealing their breath, 
while digging in its claws or hooks. Oh my god, I hate everything. Well, there goes the comfort of my blanket burrito. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's okay. sure doesn't have teeth. Well, sometimes my dog gets wrapped in the blanket burrito, so it's like it's hard to tell where the teeth are coming from. Now nah, she doesn't bite me. She's a pretty good dog, except for being hyper. But this de- this description kind of reminded me of the possessed cotton toilet paper from oh, yeah, 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 episode yeah. two, the Itan Momen from Japan, which would also wrap itself around people and suffocate them. So I thought that was kind of cool. A little bit of a tie back there. So once it's grabbed them, El Cuero will drag them beneath the water and drown them. Some websites said that it would use its stomach mouth to suck out all the insides, like someone sucking all the filling out of a cannoli. Oh god, I forgot about the stomach mouth. Oh my god, it, now it's starting to remind me of our boy the goat sucker. <laughs> or I was going to say the kappa too, because the kappa does that. I should probably be appropriate and say chupacabra and not say goat sucker, but come on. (laughs) It's also known to emerge from the water and bask in the sun along the shoreline. However, because it's pretty much an amorphous blob on land, it has to call up a whirlwind to push it back into the water. So it obviously has some kind of mystical powers, but they appear to be fairly limited because it's really as far as the powers go, as far as I was aware, was just to call a wind. I call a wind every day. I called a wind earlier on this episode. Maybe that's what it's really doing. Maybe it's not calling up a wind at all. Maybe it just farts really hard. (laughs) Or it like tries to blow itself with its stomach mouth. It's just like like blowing really hard to try to like propel it backwards. I like both of those. Those are fun. It's better than just calling a wind. Teresa Bain, an encyclopedia of beasts and monsters in myth, legend, and folklore... And Kara Rose in the the other one that was basically the same name, both describe the creature <laughs> as being kind of a minion or tool of warlocks. 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 I love it. I'm calling it that for now. We're going with it. <laughs> Those evil warlocks known as Invunche. <laughs> so we're gonna run with this now. The warlocks use El Cuero to capture young women and bring them to the bad dudes to feed on like vampires, which is really gross. Mm-hmm. I read two possible ways to trap or even kill El Cuero. It can be captured with a lasso or noose made of a fibrous plant. Unfortunately, I don't know if any old fibrous plant will do the trick or if they need it to be of like a particular specific plant. Or you can trick El Cuero and kill it by throwing cactus chunks into the water. (laughs) That's so random. But it makes sense when 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 it's explained. Because it's all brawn and no brain, El Cuero will grab the cactus and wrap itself around it just like it would any other victim. Except since it's wrapping itself and constricting around a chunk of cactus, it basically dies a death by a thousand cuts. The cactus will rip through the creature's flesh and kill it. So it's pretty genius. But it does sound really random. Just make sure you have a piece of cactus in your satchel. All right, travelers, so wherever you go, it's good to know where your towel is, but you should also have a cactus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there have actually been quite a few contemporary sightings of the deadly beast. Cryptid Archives lists five sightings between about 1965 and 2014, which doesn't sound like a whole lot, but when you think about how rural Patagonia is, yeah. how sparsely populated, that's actually quite a lot. 1.5 people per square kilometer. What? <laughs> Three toddlers. <laughs> what? 
And on the Patagonia Monsters blog, a reader named Javier wrote that he'd actually seen one while out kayaking in 2019. So there's a really recent one. So what could possibly be a natural explanation for El Cuero? There are quite a few theories. Everything from octopus to squid and manta to sea scorpion. So I'll touch on all of these a little bit. I think we can likely throw out both the octopus and squid pretty quickly because they're both cephalopods and all members of this class are marine as far as we know right now. Some can tolerate brackish water, but they would definitely die in the icy fresh waters of the Andes Mountains, lakes, and rivers. So wait, this isn't in the ocean? There are some sightings in the ocean, but it's mainly uh, in the Andes Mountains. Okay. Yeah, there are lots of bodies of water in there, and I like considered going more into that on mine because, you know, the glaciological Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, formations, but I I didn't because I was like, if I have to keep saying that word, I'm going to do it wrong. So (laughs) one and done. (laughs) This whole time I thought it was in the ocean. So now knowing that it's in a lake, that's even worse. No, it's it's up in the mountains for the most part. Like I said, they they were mentioned as being seen out by Chiloé, but they're primarily in the mountains. Sea scorpions... You guys ever heard of sea scorpions? Nope, and I, I hate it. have, but I'm not. I don't really feel like I know anything about them. That would be because they went extinct okay. 250 million years ago. I feel a lot better about this yeah. now. <laughs> I remember seeing them in like some discovery documentary about how New York used to be covered in sea scorpions. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was like the Hudson Bay used to have all these sea scorpions. Okay, weird random facts I know. Or at least I think I know. That could be really wrong because it was a long time ago. They went extinct 250 million years ago. Their closest living relatives now are the horseshoe crabs, which, like the cephalopods, are marine creatures, but they also can tolerate brackish water. So they're, again, not likely to be seen in these freshwater regions. Also, those freshwater regions are pretty freaking isolated. It's going to be a lot easier for something to get from up here all the way down there than from down there all the way up there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The elevation changes alone, I feel like, would kill a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It would have to be really gradual migration. So then it would have to be something that can survive, like, away from the water for an extended period of time. Yeah, because if they're in lakes, then that's definitely isolated. Mm -hmm. It would have to be able to get out, which we know it can get out, but is it going to, like, roll itself down the hill. I don't know. That'd be pretty funny. <laughs> Watch it that kind of gives a little bit of credence to the amphibian theory. If it can that get it out, out of the water. water they... Well, I don't know. I mean, we see octopuses out of the water. They wash up on shores. And then they just look like somebody had some gigantic snot rocket on the beach. But Snot rocket! <laughs> no. <laughs> you know what? I'm okay with that because I don't like hot pockets. So you can do that all day. I like when he goes, you've never heard anybody say they feel really good after eating a hot pocket. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> no one feels good after eating a hot pocket. Oh my god. I know that this is totally irrelevant, but I don't care. <laughs> So one of my favorite memories from high school, which I don't have many because Yeah, same. <laughs> one of my favorite memories was when we went in to take a test. I want to say it was like the PSSA, which is like a state test that we have to do here. 
My English teacher was one of the proctors for that, and he told us this amazing story about how um, he had to leave extra early that morning to come in and deal with all the stuff for the test preparations. And when he called his wife to check in with her after he'd been at the school for a little while, she told him about this amazing breakfast that she was having, and he responded to her with, I love you, and I'll think of you as I'm digesting my Hot Pocket. (laughs) (laughs) it's like i love you but right now i'm really angry that your breakfast is better than mine Mm -hmm. (laughs) so we've talked about the octopus and the squid and we've talked about the sea scorpion that leaves the manta most people know what a manta ray looks like in the ocean they're pretty cool they kind of look like floating coats with tails but can they live in fresh water In fact, the only place where mantas have been documented to live in freshwater is in Central and South America. Mm Ta-da! The family of mantas, commonly known as river or freshwater stingrays, and scientifically recognized as members of the... I'm gonna take a shot at this. (laughs) (laughs) It's so long. That's what she said. Oh, God. (laughs) About Chile. So they're scientifically known as the Potomatrigonidae. Potomatrigonidae. Yeah, there we go. Are native to tropical and subtropical waterways. So they do have freshwater stingrays down there. But the bodies of water found in the Andes, particularly those where sightings of El Cuero have occurred, are very cold and definitely nowhere near the classification of tropical or subtropical. So it's unlikely that those species common to the areas of like the Amazon would survive in the cold home of El Cuero. However, many of the sightings, both centuries old and contemporary, specifically call this creature a manta. So people are physically recognizing this as a manta. And remember Javier's post in 2019 Mm -hmm. in uh, Patagonia Monsters? He said that one swam directly under his kayak and he could clearly see that it was a stingray. Hmm. Like, I know what this was. It was a stingray. So what does all this mean? My guess is that freshwater stingrays actually have a wider range of habitat or that there are some undiscovered species further south than previously known. Because we, every one of these has said, it's a stingray. It's a stingray. The the little bit that I wanted to harken back to was when we were discussing the eyes and how they grow larger and smaller. That could be a characteristic of an octopus, which is interesting, because if you've ever seen the spots on an octopus, they can make those colors grow larger and smaller at will. Hmm. Octopuses are really good at camouflaging themselves, so that could be an octopus characteristic, which maybe further muddies this, but I don't know. We'll share some pictures of what freshwater stingrays look like, because they really look like what's being described. I, I looked them up. And I could definitely understand why, especially at a distance, it might appear that they have hooks or claws all the all the way around the edges. Because they have, like, if you see the freshwater ones, they have these little white lines around the edge. Which, if you're looking at that through the water, might look like little claws. And also, they're covered in these spots. They can be yellow or brown in color. Uh, so, it definitely would look like covered in eyeballs under there. And perhaps the rippling of water, the movement of water, can make it look like those spots grow and shrink. Yeah, I was going to say water distortion could certainly Mm -hmm. play a factor in that. Their mouths also have kind of, uh, if you've ever seen a manta when they open their mouth, because of the way that they're shaped, when they open their mouth, it almost looks like their mouth is underneath of them. 
in, in a way. So I could understand how you might think that that's a, sort of a stomach mouth, but it definitely doesn't protrude from the guts. It's in the front of the body. Yeah. But yeah. Just, yeah. So I, I think it's likely that what we have is an undiscovered or as yet undescribed species of manta, which is pretty cool. There really weren't any pop culture references to this creature, except my personal conclusion that it must resemble Lady Cassandra from Doctor Who. So unfortunately, this is really where the story of the evil spirit hide ends for now. Though who knows, they may find it soon. Ash, you just recently shared a story with me about a recent discovery of a giant river otter in the same region. Yep, in Argentina. Yeah. The otters were thought to be extinct until this sighting. So maybe maybe they'll find El Cuero next. Who knows? That's pretty cool. That honestly wouldn't surprise me because based on a lot of stuff I was reading about like the plant and wildlife in Patagonia, there are a lot of species that thrive there that you really don't see anywhere else because of Mm -hmm. just how varied and unique the terrain is. Right. And it it is so sparsely populated. I'm sure there aren't. It's a large terrain. So there's probably there are probably countless species down there that have yet to be discovered. We hope you saved a little room for dessert. We'll be right back with the final treat of the night. All right, tonight's final dish is truly legendary. I will be serving the Chilean unicorn known as El Camahueto. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. Ingredients from this dish were sourced from Chiloé Mitológico, a 2015 Chile Sus Mitos y Leyendas.blogspot post by Alejandro Glade, and a cryptids fandom page on the Camahueto. The creature known as El Camahueto is primarily described as being from the Chiloé archipelago, though I did see some mention of it on mainland Chile. But I'm, I'm really not sure how common the belief of it is on the mainland, so I'm going to assume that it originated in the Chiloé archipelago. So about every 25 years or so, a baby-ish Camahueto is born in the middle of an epic storm. Much like the cicadas that will be emerging this summer, they spend that time underground and only emerge when the time is right. Or wrong. (laughs) Sorry, I don't like cicadas. I'm surprised they didn't come last year. Fuck. Is 2021 going to be the year of cicadas and El Camahueto? Who knows? As opposed to cicadas, though, Camahuetos are only known to be male. I'll talk a little later about how this works, because reproduction could be a bit tricky. After it is born, the beautiful creature, which looks like a young green calf, will violently dig its way to the surface where it will wreak some havoc on its frantic quest to find the ocean. That's because El Camueto has a single golden horn in the center of its head, which it will drag through the soil, knock down trees, and just generally make a big old mess on its way. The furrows that it digs into the ground during its desperate flight to the sea will later become rivers and streams. A machi, or shaman, could capture it before it gets to the sea, though, using a rope made of wattle, which is seaweed, or voki, which is a climbing plant. The shaman must then guide it to the ocean in an attempt to lessen the damage that it's causing. Or, this is a big or, the shaman can simply cut off its horn, which apparently completely chills it out and stops all the damage. Like, apparently all the testosterone is in that horn, which makes sense. Don't worry, though. This doesn't seem to hurt El Camahueto, and the horn can regenerate, which I'm sure every guy out there breathes a sigh of relief. It regenerates. So what I'm hearing is he's a unicorn. 
<laughs> oh my god, that needs to be the title of this episode. Oh, okay, okay. So the shaman does his thing, takes El Camaweto to the sea, but then what does he do with this spare horn that he just happens to have lying around? Why not turn it into medicine? Mmm, mm, right? Scrapings from a Camaweto horn can cure everything from infections and aneurysms to nervous diseases and anemia. But the horn has to be boiled first. Otherwise, the bits of horn that somebody in- ingests might regenerate as a whole new Camaweto inside of whoever ingested it. Kind of like eating a watermelon seed in a cartoon, but way worse. It's like alien. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> this horn comes out of your belly button you're like oh i don't know based on the list of ailments it supposedly cures it sounds a little bit like cocaine but that's fine Ooh, maybe i mean uh-huh. you probably ground it into a powder and you drink it right well wink, wink. wait till you get to this next part coca-cola oh that's true that's true <laughs> People also have to be careful not to use too much of the horn medications because, according to one site, it could cause violent insanity. It's cocaine. Cocaine. It's fucking cocaine. Someone call (laughs) Freud. I think Ashley solved it yet again. (laughs) Sorry, I've been doing a lot of research on cocaine the last week. (laughs) For legitimate purposes. Back on Pablo Escobar, huh? Yeah. I'm ra- yep. I'm wrapping up, so I feel like I probably know most of the history of cocaine now. You must still be wondering, though, where do these things even come from if they're only male? Yes. I did. I do need to know. Where? Where? Why? How? Where? Where? Where do they come from? Where? How? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I need to know these things. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> Oh, God. (laughs) Well, the shaman can bury a piece of the horn, which will slowly mature over many years and produce a new cabaretto. Or it could be the baby of a Chiloé sea cow that gets buried under forested land. So this one was a bit weird to me because I'm guessing that someone has to actually physically take a baby sea cow from the ocean, carry it over land to a wooded spot, and then bury it alive to hopefully someday produce a camoeto, which is dark as fuck. Please don't bury a sea cow alive. Don't Please do don't that. Do this. No, Aren't they endangered? No. Don't do that. Yeah, let's not do that. If you happen to see a camoeto, I guess go for chopping off its horn since it regenerates and doesn't seem to bother it. Don't take baby sea cows. Uncool. Don't, don't do that do one. That. The Cryptids fandom page suggests that this creature might actually be inspired by an extinct member of the Elasmotherium subfamily, also known as the Siberian Unicorn. Woo! Nice. They, they're they pretty cool looking. They look like ancient rhinoceroses, but... Mmm, okay. These creatures went extinct around 39,000 years ago and were only known to have lived in and around Asia. So it seems unlikely that that would be the case here. It's probably not a reasonable explanation. One of the other sites suggested that it might have been just kind of a way to explain some of the seismic and environmental conditions experienced in the region. And that really could be since it's said that it's only born during terrible storms mm-hmm. and it leads to the creation of new rivers. So I think it, it's more likely that this was a way to explain some of the uh, environmental 
more mythological based, like yes, like more like, myth- like myths to explain away things. It's geo mythology happening right now. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Call back. <laughs> so here again, there really weren't any pop culture references that I could find, so that finishes up our meal for the night. So now it's time for some good old dinner conversation. Oh, howdy! Well, I know it's been ages since we last recorded on our recording marathon, but did either of you happen to have uh, anything exciting or new and interesting to discuss? I did, and I think I... I don't know how good it is, but I want to share it because it's what I thought of while I was outside with River. Um, So the... I don't know if you guys watch watched Friends, but mm-hmm. I used to be, like, really upset. Like, I had Friends fever pretty seriously because I kind of grew up on that show. Mm-hmm. So the... Friends reunion just came out a couple days ago, and I got to watch that, and I really enjoyed that a lot. So it was very emotional. I'm not going to lie. I was ugly crying through parts of it, and I Mm -hmm. feel weird about that. But, you know, catharsis is good for the soul. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed watching that, and I'm glad that my friend Jess texted me to remind me that it came out that day. (laughs) Nice. I haven't seen it yet. I did love, I used to love Friends so much. It was a good show. Yeah. Who is your favorite friend? Well, my f- my actual favorite friend is Phoebe because I love her. Mm-hmm. But if you're asking, like, who I identify with the most, I'm obviously a Chandler Bing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. the sense of humor is on point for Chandler Bing. It's deeply upsetting to me that I am a Chandler Bing, but it's okay. Phoebe was my favorite too because I felt like she was always as as wild and crazy as she could be. She was always the most grounded and at heart, she was probably the most sensible of everybody. She has the best heart, I think, out of everybody else because she's the one person on that show who I feel like genuinely wants to do good in the world Mm -hmm. in a way that the other characters don't really think about because like most of us they're very focused on what's happening right here and right now in their own lives Mm -hmm. and i i really admire that about her she has good character i saw a meme yesterday or today that was had to do with the the friends reunion Mm -hmm. and it was talking about office fans are over here like (laughs) waiting for their reunion I love The Office. It was a good show. I could go for a reunion for that one, too. Yeah. But yeah, I'm definitely a Chandler Bing. Could I be any more of a Bing? No. <laughs> I, yeah, also identify, I, I also identify with Chandler Bing. He was my favorite character. Let's see. What was my good thing that I was going to share? Oh, since I'm not allergic to corn, I can have popcorn again. And I've been enjoying eating popcorn because I miss being able to eat popcorn. Kettle corn is my absolute favorite thing. Wait, because it's amazing? Mm-hmm. When did you find out that you, like, what made you think that you were allergic to all these things before? Because I had a colonoscopy and a biopsy, and they were like, you have this specific disease, which I don't remember the name of, and it's most likely caused because of gluten and dairy and nuts and beans, and these are things you should cut out of your diet because these are typically the most common irritants uh, that cause your small intestine to basically attack itself. So That sucks. So you basically got a colonoscopy and changed your diet for how long? And they were wrong. For like two years? Mm-hmm. That sucks. That's the problem with most common 
It's mm-hmm. not everybody. <laughs> or I'm sorry, large intestine. My large intestine tried to kill itself, basically. Now I know. I feel like guts are always trying to do that no matter what. Mm-hmm. They're out to destroy themselves and each other. They're like, oh, what am I sending on down the line? <laughs> <laughs> Fire in the hole! Oh, no. Look out below! <laughs> oh, that's terrible. She ate Taco Bell. Prepare yourselves. Batten down the hatches. Anyway, popcorn. So how about you, Emily? <laughs> <laughs> Yay, popcorn. Oh, gosh. Anything. We rearranged our room today, and I know that might sound lame but it feels like a totally brand new bedroom and it feels huge and i really like what we did and we went with my idea i may have strong armed getting my idea but it worked and now it's beautiful and i'm very happy there you go and it's beautiful so that's my very exciting news newish bedroom yeah (laughs) sometimes it's all you need to do is just like move things around a little bit and then it's like wow Look at all this space. I think we rearranged it just a year ago. So it's only been in the spot that it was for like a year. But when we moved the bed out, because we have cats, mm-hmm. there was all this cat fur underneath. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like we have a cream colored carpet. It was like black under there with the uh. cat fur. And I'm trying to run the vacuum over it. And it's like, oh, my God. I don't know that I'll ever get this back to cream. Oh, no. That's what I did today. Nice. I vacuumed a carpet and rearranged a room. Woo! (laughs) Are we ready for a review from a delighted customer? Yes. All right. This one is short and sweet. It is either from CJ Lamb 12, but I think it's probably from CJ I Am 12. But I (laughs) maybe not. (laughs) I say that out loud. (laughs) We'll go with CJ Lamb 12. (laughs) All right. So CJ says, super fun. Great show and banter with three great ladies. Thanks, CJ. Aw. Thank you, CJ. I think you're a great lady too, CJ. That was nice. Well, I think it's about time to close up the restaurant for the night. Thank you for visiting our beautiful pizzeria and enjoying a slice of beautiful and beastly Chilean cryptids. Pineapple Pizza Podcast. Sweet and cheesy. Not everyone understands our awesomeness, but we're glad that you do? Question mark? If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to help support us, check out our Tee Public shop for some amazingly fun and funny merch. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can do that on buymeacoffee.com and buy us a fresh slice because we can never get enough of basically anything, if we're being honest. If you absolutely love the show and you want to check out some fantastic bonus content, you can become a donor on Patreon and earn all kinds of amazing benefits. We have three tiers to accommodate almost any budget. The $3 Mythbuster, $7 Cryptid Hunter, and $15 Storyteller. Become a patron today and start enjoying all the perks and extra content right away. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PineAppPizzaPod. That's PineAppAppPizzaPod. You can also send us questions, comments, and topic ideas at pineappappizzapod at gmail.com. Remember, there's the two P's in app. Otherwise, you're emailing someone else, and I don't want to be held responsible for that. 
Thanks for stopping in for some deliciously weird morsels. And just remember, no matter how you slice it, you're awesome. And we love you.